Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Equiller Mahone. I met Equiller years ago when I was a teaching assistant for one of her undergraduate courses. Equiller is currently the Assistant Executive Director for the Children's Advocacy Centers of Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi. She earned both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in human development and family studies from the University of Alabama. In this episode, she shares a story of how she found the HDFS major and her professional experiences so far. Without further ado, here's her interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Equiller. Hi, Erica. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing in these pandemic times? I'm surviving. And I think that says a lot considering everything that we have going on right now. I would wholeheartedly agree. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule and with everything going on um, to speak with me. I'm really excited to share your story with students across the country and also to just get to catch up with you because it's been a while since we spoke. Yes. We can go ahead and start by just can you tell me a little bit about how you discovered the field of human development and family studies as an undergraduate? How did you find that major? Yes. So starting undergrad, I was a political science major with this lofty idea that I was going to law school. So right out of high school, that was my, that was my goal. Like I'm going to law school doing political science. So I think it was probably like my second semester of freshman year, I realized that I'm like, this is not really what I'm interested in. So I did my due diligence. I started doing a little homework, um, spending some time just kind of thinking through, well, what else is out there? And so I came across um, psychology, social work, and then I saw human development and family studies. And for me, human development and family studies was kind of a perfect mix. I knew absolutely that I wanted to help people. And so I was like, well, I was looking at all the classes and I thought, I think this will be a good fit. And so I talked to uh, an advisor, had a really good conversation because one of my first questions is, well, what will I be able to do with this major? Um, So after that discussion, I was sold. I was like, I think this is the perfect place for me right now. Yes. And so what did she tell you? Do you remember what the advisor said when you asked, what can you do with the major? Yes. And so I told her at that time, I said, I just know I want to help people. And so one thing that stood out to me was like the family education portion of it. And so we talked about some of the agencies that were in that community. So Tuscaloosa One Place came up. And so she talked to me about what programming they had. And I was really interested. I was like, oh, wow, I never knew anything like that existed um, for families. For me, I'm from a very small town, Ufala, Alabama, so we did not have a lot of resources in terms of community resources for families. And so once she started talking to me about all the different things that a human development and family studies major could do, I was like, okay, like, let's move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And just for our listeners of Tuscaloosa, one place, um, it's really kind of the cool center where they're all different family services housed under one roof. Um, And so it's kind of a one-stop shop for, you know, all different types of resources to help families. And you said you're from Eufaula, Alabama originally? Mm -hmm. Okay. Small town. And so very small town. You come to Tuscaloosa and they had this, this resource center there. Okay. So you are sold, you switched in the major. So what is your experience like in your classes? And then also, did you do anything else while you were in school in addition to go to class? Were you working or were you volunteering or interning? Like, just tell me about what your experience was like. Yes. So once I started the classes, it was really exciting because some of the things that we were talking about, I thought about the dynamics in my family. I thought about the relationships. Um, and so interpersonal relationships is one class that really stands out. We're talking about like friendships and romantic relationships. And so I found myself always like going home and telling my roommates, and I'm sure they got tired of me, but a couple of them ended up changing their majors too. I was always excited. Like, let me tell you what we talked about in interpersonal relationships. Uh, Let me tell you about what we talked about in uh, parent and uh, development class. And so I was always like, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. So I found that the information was really relatable 
um, I felt that my professors um, saw me as a student and I wasn't just like one person in a huge class. So my um, professors, they really develop relationships. And I thought, well, how fitting is that? We were talking about relationships and the importance of relationships. Um, so outside of class, I spent some time volunteering with Dr. Kirtner Smith, who was one of my professors. She was um, doing a project at that time. So I remember doing data collection for her. And that really got me to thinking about grad school. Um, prior to really diving into my classes, I had not reassessed what after um, undergrad will look like for me. So I spent some time helping her with her research project. I was working on campus um, at the student center at the front desk. And I was also part of a sorority, Sigma Gamma Rho. And so I joined that sorority my sophomore year. So I was pretty active um, in class and then outside of class as well. Yeah, you're picking up a lot of good experiences, like you're working, um, and so you're interacting with people, and then too, you're just, you know, how long did you work at the, as, at the front desk, would you say? So I think I started working at the front desk maybe my sophomore year. That freshman year, I worked part, well, part of freshman year and sophomore year, I worked at the front desk at Tuckweiler, and then I remember transitioning to the FERG and working um, at that front desk until I graduated. So I worked the entire time that I was um, undergrad. Were you part-time worker the entire time? Then? So I was a student worker. So there was a cap okay. on the number of hours that we could work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and the, so you're bringing back so many good memories for me. <laughs> Tutwaller. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, even though I did not live in Tutwaller, so tell, uh, I'll just to clarify for people, Tutwaller is a Tutwaller is a residence hall at the University of Alabama. So you worked there, and then you worked at the Ferg. The Ferg is the student, one of the main student centers at the University of Alabama, a religious pool hangout place. Yeah. Um, I actually went to graduate school at the University of Alabama. Um, and so uh, Equaler is bringing back all sorts of good memories for me. And she mentioned Dr. Mary Elizabeth Kurtner Smith, who was my um, advisor and major professor during all of my graduate school work. So I'm indebted to her and she's an amazing, awesome mentor. Yes, Very I echo that, those sentiments as well. And I think that's actually where I first met you. Um, yes. I think you were um, her teaching assistant that semester I took her class. Yes, yes. I remember you as a, and she and I would even talk about you then. We're like, man, she is really on top of things. <laughs> That's the most organized student we have. <laughs> and we had some good students, but you were a stellar standout. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, us both being very impressed. Um, the, so you're, you're working, you're involved in your sorority, Sigma Gamma Rho. Um, so you're picking up cool experiences there. Um, and uh, you also are, you did a research assistant position. You assisted with some research mm -hmm. um, in addition to going to classes. So that's always super helpful. Did you have to do an internship? And if yes. so, what was that like? So I can remember senior year, it was time to start talking about um, internships. And so it was HC 483 with Dr. Kirtner Smith. And so we had different representatives from the community that came in and talked about their organizations and what you would do as an intern. So again, going back to school to one place, I was super excited. I'm like, that's where I want to do my internship at. And so just to kind of set the stage, there are not a large number of social service agencies in Tuscaloosa. So it's kind of competitive for agencies like Tuscaloosa One Place. They can only accept a small number of interns. And so by the time I really got involved and really looking for my internship, they had already accepted their interns for that upcoming semester. And so I started thinking back through like, okay, who else came to our class? What am I interested in? And I went back to Dr. Kurt Smith and I'm panicking at that point. And she was like, well, what about turning point? I was like, okay, I have no point of reference for working with domestic violence. I'm from a small town. We don't talk about domestic violence. And so I met with their director at the time, expressed my interest. And so he was excited, like, sure, you know, we can make this work for the upcoming semester. 
So I remember going into that internship just being nervous because I was just not aware of like the issue. Um, and so they provide services for domestic violence victims and sexual assault victims. And so I interned at the shelter. So I had hands-on experience with survivors of domestic violence that were in the shelter. Um, I was working closely with the shelter director and the case manager. There was one other intern um, that was a human development and family studies major. And so we were able to kind of talk through our internship about internship requirements, making sure we were doing our journal entries and other associated assignments. And it turned out to be a really wonderful experience. I learned so much during that time. And I can remember um, I was one of those hands-on students and interns. So even the days where it was a holiday or it was a snow day, um, so to speak, I can remember calling and saying, well, I know I don't have to come in, but I know you guys are short staff. Can I help out in any way? And they were always grateful. And so that summer, the shelter director reached out to me. They were having a site visit from one of their grant funders. And she said, we're in a bind. Do you mind coming in and volunteering? I said, of course, I'm not doing anything. So I was able to go back that summer and help them out. I just kept that relationship, nurtured that relationship, always checked in and see, you know, what was going on with the staff, if they had any needs um, that I could help out as a volunteer. And that turned into a part-time position. Um, that fall, I started grad school. So I was looking for employment again. So I started part-time as a relief worker at the shelter. Um, probably six months after starting part-time, I was offered a full-time position as the shelter case manager. Wow. And yeah, you bring up so many good points. First of all, I'm not at all surprised that you called to offer help. <laughs> this gets to my earlier point. I mean, you were just such um, a conscientious student, but then that also really goes to the fact that you are really um, invested in what you do. Like you, you want to help, you genuinely want um, to help people succeed. Um, you're just so very committed uh, to what you put your mind to. So not, not surprised at that, but that's awesome because that helped, like you said, nurture that relationship. You kept that bridge. Um, and you could have never predicted that they'd have this, this opening. Not um, at, at all. The time that you needed. Yeah. And so and it worked out um, that when you were going back to graduate school, they had a part-time job, which is perfect because then you can focus on school, but then also um, still keep working and gaining experience in hands-on experience and something that you're really interested in. So tell me about um, your decision to go back to get your master's. Did you go straight through to get your master's or did you stop at a certain point in work or, or, or why did you decide to go get your master's? Whatever you want to say about that. So I went straight through. Um, I didn't really have any concrete plans at that point. I was accustomed to being in Tuscaloosa, the idea of just up and moving. I knew I wasn't really ready for that. And so um, again, going back to my advisor, um, talking to my professors about my options, I remember having a conversation with Dr. Kirtner-Smith and she mentioned graduate school. And so I was like, well, that seems like the next logical step. And so um, it was right after. So it was only a few months in between graduation in May and then starting the program that August. In August, yes. And that is the same master's program that I came out of. <laughs> I love that program. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so what was your experience what was your experience though? Don't let me put words in your mouth. <laughs> what was your experience like in the graduate program? Like how was it different from undergrad or what, you know, what did you think about it? Um, and so I enjoyed it um, because of course it's grad school. So the expectations are kicked up a notch. And so I can remember that first day of class thinking, oh gosh, what have I signed up for? <laughs> <laughs> I think my first class might have been with Dr. Schofield. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, what have like this is I'm intimidated. Like, I'm not ready for grad school. And so with that next week, uh, once I had time to go through my syllabus and kind of map out, well, these are your assignments for the semester. I was I was good. I was like, OK, this is good. This is building on what I learned in undergrad. And that was what I was really excited about was that I had a foundation already and I was able to continue to build on what I'd already learned in undergrad. 
Um, so it was a great experience. Um, again, when it got to the thesis portion of it, I was thinking, oh gosh, what have I signed up for? <laughs> yes. Um, and so that entire experience of trying to figure out, well, what do I want to focus on? I looked at alternative forms of punishment um, and discipline because I can remember, you know, as a small child, I was never spanked. I remember the silent treatment and I was thinking, well, what happens if you experience too much of the silent treatment or other forms of discipline? And so that was my focus for my thesis. And I can just think about the long hours and think I'm never going to finish this process. But overall, it was just a wonderful experience. Oh, yeah. And somehow you get, you're done with it. And then you look back after all of that work and it is really an accomplishment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ever. So uh, Dr. Schofield is another faculty member in that Human Development Family Studies program. I'm guessing maybe you were taking lifespan with him. Yes. Do you think that mm -hmm. was the class? Okay. That was it. And then the thesis I'm going to put out there because this is how clueless I was, Equaler. I showed up to that graduate program. I didn't even know what a thesis was. I knew I'd written a senior thesis. I actually had written two in undergraduate, but somehow I wasn't making the full connection <laughs> in terms of how involved that thesis was but yeah basically it's usually an independent research project of course you have the guidance of your hopefully faithful um advisor graduate advisor a major yes. professor um the major professor the main professor that you're working with um but yeah they're involved it's a long it's typically a long document in which you do an extensive review of the literature on a, a specific topic related to your field and yeah that is such a cool um a cool topic that you chose, like kind of looking into not just corporal punishment, but some of these other forms of punishment uh, that people don't talk as much about, like mm -hmm. the silent treatment, you know, what are the potential impacts of those? Right. So, yeah, I think that's a, such a neat thing. Well, congrats on being done with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when did you finish the master's program? So I finished in August of 2012. Okay, and were you working at Turning Point? for that entire time? Yes, um, I was. And so okay. I can remember juggling classes on Saturday and then being on call and thinking, I hope I don't get a call while I'm in class. And I can remember yes. like a final exam and getting a call and thinking, okay, I'll be there as soon as I finish this final exam, <laughs> my Saturday wow. class. Wow. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness, how nerve wracking. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, okay, and then you continue to work. Did you continue to work for Turning Point full-time once you were done with the master's program? So I ended up transitioning to Tuscaloosa Children's Center that September. I think I'm pretty positive I consulted with you, and I reached out and was like, hey, I just finished my master's. I don't know what I want to do next. And so I remember you telling me, well, I think, you know, there's a, my friend at Tuscaloosa Children's Center has an opening. Is it something you'd yes. be interested in? That really introduced me to the child advocacy world. So essentially, I transitioned to working from uh, victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, adult victims. And sometimes they have their children in shelter to primarily focusing on children who have been abused. And so I stayed at Tuscaloosa Children's Center for four years. During that time, I was the child and family advocate. I also became a trained forensic interviewer. So I served as the backup forensic interviewer at the Children's Center uh, for four years. So it specifically focuses on children who've been abused, only kids. Yes. And so um, to use your phrase from earlier, it's like a one-stop shop. And so when you're thinking about a child advocacy center, you have a child who's experienced some form of abuse whether it's extreme physical abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, um, witness to a homicide, chemical endangerment, and they come into the Child Advocacy Center, they're interviewed, um, the social worker, law enforcement, depending on the case, both or one of those entities are involved. After the forensic interview, um, counseling services may be offered, um, there's a referral process for counseling, and then there's also kind of a needs assessment to say, like, is there anything else we can offer this child and their family, whether it's referrals for um, other resources in the community? So on a typical day, 
if we had interviews, it was greeting that child and their family. Um, as a child and family advocate, I will observe the interviews after if that child was referred for counseling, then I would do a needs assessment and an intake with the parent to find out what all is going on in this child's life. Are they having issues at home? Are they having issues in school? Um, are there any medical issues? All those things need to be taken into account so that we can kind of give the counselor a preview of it just wasn't that abuse situation. There are some other things that need to be addressed as well. Um, so watching the interviews, interacting with a multidisciplinary team, which consists of law enforcement, um, DHR, um, school social workers. And so it's this whole team that's working for this child and advocating for that child. So that was pretty much a typical day. And you're working with, okay, the DHR, that's the Department of Human Services. Yes. You know, Department of Human Resources in mm -hmm. Tuscaloosa. They go by different names in different places. Yes. <laughs> the, um, and, but yeah, you're really interacting with various different entities in this child's life, from their family to, um, to Department of Human Resources, to the schools, to the counselor, and um, even law enforcement. And so mm -hmm. you're advocating. And so ultimately... Um, when you say you're advocating, are you all advocating to who, um, to the, to the parents or to the schools or to everybody or to the court? And so in a sense, it's for that child to be that voice for their child. They haven't experienced something really horrible. And so you're trying to look at that whole child to see, well, how can we help them through this horrible situation? And so it's from the time they walk in for the interview, following them following them through counseling, and then if it goes to the court, following them through that process as well. And just to give a little background, um, if you watch Law and Order Special Victims Unit, they start with the case, there's that one piece of great evidence, and then by the end of the episode, they've been to court, all of that, and it's like 60 minutes. In real life, it could take a number of years before that truly happens, that entire process from the time they have an interview until it goes through court. And so it can be a very lengthy process. A lot of things happen. And so it's just being that support for that child throughout that entire process. Okay. And really like communicating to all of the, the various entities, like this is what the child needs, like this is in the best interest of the child right now yes, at this stage. Absolutely. So you're there for four years, you said, and then what was next? And I guess kind of what led to you transitioning to, to whatever was next? So at that point, I started thinking, I enjoy helping people. I've been doing this pretty much my entire career, but it's been very traumatic situations. People who have experienced really horrible things um, when you're talking about domestic violence victims, sexual assault victims, and now child abuse victims, it was all this secondary trauma. So I started thinking, well, maybe it's time to do something different um, to kind of go back a little bit. So I want to say probably late August of 2012, I also started teaching um, at the University of Alabama. So I was an adjunct instructor in human development and family studies. And so for those four years, I was working at the Tuscaloosa Children's Center and I was also an adjunct instructor. So I was still very involved with our department and I just enjoy interacting with our students. And so I thought, okay, well, there's a available um, academic advisor position that's um, open with a department. So I said, well, that's going to be completely different. But I thought about my personal experience and how instrumental my advisors had been. I was like, okay. So I applied for it. I received that position. So I spent a year um, as the academic advisor for human development and family studies for that department absolutely enjoyed it. I was able to do advising. I was still teaching. And then I realized I really missed those everyday, you know, interacting with clients and just helping them during those very difficult situations. So I, at that point, I kind of realized like your passion is like on the front lines, interacting with people. Um, and so I 
applied for the executive director position at Turning Point. So pretty much full circle at that point. So I became the executive director at Turning Point in September of 2017. And I spent two years. So you go back to Turning Point and Turning Point is where you initially did that internship and you initially had that part-time job. Mm -hmm. Go back Mm -hmm. to working with domestic violence victims and now you're the executive director. Yes. And so it was pretty much full circle. I felt like I understood um, what was needed for the victims and survivors um, and all those experiences. And so I was, I knew I was very passionate about, you know, domestic violence and sexual assault. And so there, it still wasn't enough preparation for everything that comes along with being an executive director of a nonprofit. You had had those experience at an, a different agency, plus your other work experiences that you were building on. And so that I'm sure helped you in that role. So yeah, but what was that transition like? Because yes, now you are basically over <laughs> this entire service. What was that like? That it was, you know, I, at that point, like I can remember being super excited getting started because it's like this full circle transition of you start as an intern. Now, like you're at the very head of this organization and so I was super excited. And then all of the work started to pile up because I started thinking about well, what do they have currently? How can we push this agency forward? And it was it was a lot of work. And so as the executive director, you're on call 24-7, especially when you have an emergency shelter. And so I can remember, you know, in the middle of the night, it was nothing for my phone to go off uh, for someone that was working at the shelter. Something came up. Um, our staff contact me and say, like, you know, I'm on call. This is going on. I need some guidance to being up writing grants. And so that took me back to grant school and thinking, okay, this is preparation for this period in your life. And so I can remember being up, you know, working on grant proposals, um, being up thinking about everything that needs to be done and just worrying about, you know, the health of the organization and what all we need to get done. Yes, very overwhelming. Yeah. yeah and then the, that funding piece, yes, having to get that the grant, you know, and worrying, okay, you know, are we going to get enough funding? Yes. So in addition to the day-to-day um, consulting with your staff and being on call for all sorts of emergency, yes, yeah, very, very hot, intensive. Okay, so what then led you to kind of make another next step? So at that point, after about a year and a half, going into almost two years, I started thinking, I am completely exhausted. I do not want to be the it person, the person that has like that final say so. Like, I'm okay not being that it person. And I can remember thinking about weather days, like the snow days, um, you know, and being that person that make that final decision of, okay, we're going to close the agency but we have to make sure someone's at our emergency shelter. And I can think back to undergrad thinking like, okay, when is that magical email coming in that classes are canceled because we're getting snow, which is <laughs> a big deal for Tuscaloosa. <laughs> yes. And being that person of thinking, let me think through all of all the things, all the factors, you know, cause I have staff that are in different counties and have different driving distances and making sure we're covered for the emergency shelter and finally saying, well, I'll just make sure I'm there. And so I started thinking, I don't want to be that it person. I am exhausted. I'm burnt out. I still want to help people, but I have to find another way to do it. And so um, I can remember applying for a job in Georgia, I accepted that position. And then at the last minute, I was like, uh, maybe I'll just need to stay in Tuscaloosa and make this work. And so I ended up staying a couple of extra months. And then I started my job search again. And so I barely remember even applying for a position here in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and when I got the phone call, the director said, well, you applied for this position, but I'm looking over your resume and I think you are a better fit for another position that we have. So I'm going to send you the job descriptions for both of them. And so I can remember thinking, okay. You know, I'm going to go to this interview. Uh, ironically, I had only been in Jackson one other time, and it was probably almost six months before for a concert with my cousin. 
And I, I remember thinking, because we drove over that Sunday, went to the concert, got back up early that Monday morning, drove back, and I went to work. And I was like, oh, Jacksonville is a nice little drive. You know, it's not too far from Tuscaloosa. Didn't think anything about it. And so when I came for this interview, thinking, I don't know anybody in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to follow through with this interview and see how it goes. And so I can remember during my interview, she started talking about the different programs that the agency had. Um, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's really cool. Like you guys are doing some phenomenal things in the child advocacy world. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. I hope I get the job. And so when I got that offer, I was driving home for Thanksgiving and she called and she said, well, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, and I'm going to be sending you the formal offer letter. Wow. I'm thinking, okay, I guess I'm going to Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because you don't even really remember applying for that one. I don't know. And so you are the assistant executive director for Child Advocacy Centers of Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi. Yes. And so this position was completely brand new. She had been looking for two years to find a fit for the position. And I can remember being in a similar situation when I was thinking about restructuring um, the agency turning point when I was there, um, shifting some of the work responsibilities. An assistant executive director is a crucial role because you're providing more of the support for the staff that's in the office. And it's hard to find like a really good fit, somebody that you're going to be working with hands on, but also you're entrusting them with things that you normally do. And so it was a two year, a two year search. And so coming in, it was, I have these ideas of what it should look like. And then it was sitting down together and saying, okay, well, can we really make this work the way you envision this position looking? And so I provide the hands-on um, support and supervision for some of the employees that are there in the office. And so prior to COVID, it was starting to get out and visit some of our child advocacy centers and find out what all they're doing, how we can support them. And then the pandemic happened and it's like, let's go home for almost two months. And so we just transitioned back to the office full time. Um, so it's just working with staff, thinking about, you know, how do we do fundraising now? Um, how do we do trainings at this point? Um, because as the state chapter, we provide support to our 11 member centers. Um, they're on the front lines now, and we're here to provide support, training, not only to the CAC staff, but other stakeholders in the community as well. Yeah. And so now you have to think so creatively. I mean, so y'all went home for two months and had to basically work remotely, do the Zoom yes. thing like everybody else in America. Yes. <laughs> and yes. everybody else who was in any sort of office job. And then, then you, um, so yeah, now y'all are trying to figure out what is this new normal going to look like? Like, how can we come up with impact, high impact trainings, you know, yet still be mindful of some of the health risk and make accommodations. Um, yes, because our child advocacy centers, they didn't close close. They, you know, shifted their hours of operation, some to emergency only interviews, but then it comes down to, well, we still have children who are being abused. We still need to get them in for the interview. Thinking through, well, what does an interview look like? during a pandemic, you know, face masking, all of those guidelines. So again, it was everything else kind of shut down, but reminding people like, you know, abuse is still happening. Right. And even at greater numbers, because they're not around people that they typically report to. Yeah. Um, they're not in safe environments. People are stressed in general. And so all of those factors piled on top of each other. And it's like, well, how do we continue to support our, our CACs? and make sure they're able to continue to provide the services that are needed. So you are really in a role now, and in, in your role, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you are supervising um, the same, 
staff who are engaged in similar work that you did when you were at Tuscaloosa Children's Center. So when you were yes. engaged in the interviewing and you even became trained as a forensic interviewer. By the way, I meant to ask, how long did it take you to become trained as a forensic interviewer? So I went through a one week intensive training, like all day, every day um, for that week, looking at the foundation, which was child development. And I'm such a nerd. I was super excited. Like, this is my background. This yes. is what I learned during my undergrad and my uh, graduate day. So I was super excited to that that was kind of the foundation about how do you interview a child and think about it from a develop, uh, developmental standpoint. Then we looked at protocol and then I remember doing my mock interview. Um, and so it was a week long experience. And in a couple of weeks, I will be going through um, forensic interview training again, because each state may have a different protocol. And so Mississippi has their own protocol that they follow. So I'll be going through uh, forensic interview training again. And is it also in, in a, a couple week of weeks? Long? Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I meant to ask that and forgot earlier because uh, so many interesting things. The, um, and so, yeah, so you're kind of providing that supervision and support um, now um, to people who are, are engaged in work that you were engaged in similarly before. What is, yes. what do you, what would you say is probably your favorite part? I know you haven't been there very long, but what's your favorite part so far about your current role? It's learning about the differences um, of all of our CACs. Everybody has the same, you know, approach but it looks a little different depending on each CAC. So learning about the different CACs and finding out what are their needs and how can we help them. So it's thinking through training topics and thinking about, okay, well, this is going to be very beneficial now. What other considerations, you know, what everything that's going on do we need to be thinking about? So that part is very exciting. Um, we also have a simulation training center um, here. And so that part is very exciting um, because the simulation center, the whole purpose is to train frontline workers like CPS um, and law enforcement before they actually become completely engaged in their fields. Um, you're kind of training them so they'll be better once they're in those fields, they know what to look for. And so they can go through these simulations. Um, we have CAS, which is a program um, at some of our colleges and universities where students are taking classes to learn about what they need to know before they go into their field. And so they would have opportunities to participate in simulations where scenarios are set up. For example, there's a domestic violence scene. And so they could go through this simulation and learn what things to look for what questions to ask. So it's not a situation where you have your degree, you get this brand new job, and now you're knocking on somebody's door saying, hi, I'm here from CPS, um, DHR. Like you said, it's different in every state. Yes. Um, so that preparation, and so that was one thing from that interview, she was telling me about what they have going on. I was like, that's so exciting. Like, that's so interesting. So that is, that, I, I mean, what a high impact experience for a student or for a law enforcement professional, you know, someone who is going to be interacting because that is, that is really, um, it's really intimidating, you know, to know that you're going to start and this is going to be a critical part of your job, but, but you know, you don't really know what it looks like, but that simulation helps to provide more of a transition, um, helps you to role play and helps you to, you know, really be immersed in the situation as much as you can be before you're actually in it. <laughs> yeah. So you have that safe space to kind of make those mistakes without a child's life, you know, really being at risk. You have time to think through, well, maybe I should do something different. And so for me, thinking back from like sitting in the classroom to all the experiences I've had um, from being, you know, a shelter case manager to being the child and family advocate, I think about how valuable this experience can be for a student and professionals. And so I just get really excited thinking about, you know, how beneficial it is and what a game changer that this can be. 
professionals and students. Absolutely. And then you all are kind of overseeing this network throughout the entire state of all mm-hmm. of these agencies that provide services to um, children who had various forms of, of abuse and neglect. And so then you can kind of you help to strengthen that connection because you all are that central point of support and training. That is very exciting. Well, I'm, yeah, yeah I've got goosebumps. Listen, I'm, I'm glad that you, <laughs> here I was thinking you were still in Tuscaloosa and you were doing great work there too. But, um, but I can see why you made the leap. And yeah, because this is really a game changer, as you say, in terms of um, impact. Um, mm-hmm. And so is, I guess, what would be the most challenging part of your current role, would you say? I think the most challenging role is trying to make sure that I am that support for my staff, Um, especially being completely brand new to the state and not knowing the landscape, trying to learn it all. Yeah. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but just making sure that I am that support that, you know, is needed. Um, so regularly checking in with staff and say, well, how can I help? What do you need as you're supporting the frontline workers? Um, so that is probably the most challenging part is, you know, thinking through what needs to be done, making sure it gets done uh, for my staff. I guess in closing, I think that is, let me check my list of questions because sometimes I get so involved <laughs> listening that I completely forget. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's it. the only other thing I had. Um, it's kind of a double barrel question, which we don't like in research, but I continue to ask them anyway. <laughs> so and it is, um, is there anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't ask? And also, is there any advice that you have for students and new professionals looking to possibly enter the field? There's nothing else that I can think about my journey. It has been very unique and I've been very grateful for the experiences that I've had so far. Um, and thinking about just the advice, I've learned so much, especially in my last position as executive director, um, and even in this role and taking this leap of faith to come to Mississippi for this position, I've learned so much. I've had the opportunity to interact with staff, applicants who were interested in positions that were open at my agency, and even interns. And even students, um, because I continue to um, do adjunct instructing up until right before my move. So even last fall, I was in a classroom. And so I would encourage students and young professionals to be teachable. Never enter a space where you feel like, oh, I know everything there is to know about whatever you're doing, whatever your role is. Continue to be teachable, whether you're learning from the clients you're interacting with, your supervisors, just always be open to soak up as much knowledge as possible. Um, I can just think about some of the things that I learned. They had nothing to do with my job description at the time, but I was open um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm willing to learn. And so I just encourage everyone to just be teachable, ask questions. If it doesn't make sense, you're not sure ask questions, Um, especially if you're new to an agency, find out, well, why do we do it like this? So ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, well, I don't know. I don't understand why we're doing this. So I always encourage people to ask questions, find a mentor, find a mentor. I cannot emphasize that anymore um, because you're brand new to whatever role that you're in, whatever profession that you're in. So find someone who has those experience, ask those questions to say, well, this is a difficult situation that I'm navigating as a professional. How do I approach the situation? Um, you know, like I said, even when I was graduating from graduate school, I'm like, well, I don't really know what's next. And so I reached out to you to say, well, I'm kind of lost at this point. I need, I need some guidance, some suggestions. And I think about how that kind of set so many other things in motion, that conversation that we had. Um, And then I also say, make the most of your internship experience. 
months yes. kind of snowballed into a full-time position and later being the executive direct, uh, director, which I never would imagine as an intern <laughs> because I kept thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here, but make the most of your internship. You know, even if that agency is small, they are always the first to know about other jobs, similar jobs within that organization um, or similar organizations. People will send out emails before they even post it to those big search engines to say, hey, do you have anybody in mind? And so that's one way to say, hey, after I finished my internship, I proved to you that I was a really good intern. This was my first true work experience in my field. And so they can attest to what type of worker you were. And when those emails come in from another colleague that say, well, we have this opening, we're looking for somebody good, they can recommend you and say, well, she interned for me. He interned for me. They were really good. They know about the calls. They understand the work that needs to be done. So that's very important. And then I think about when I was on the other side of the table, I asked the interviewer looking to fill that um, open position. And I can think about first impressions. So if you're interviewing for an internship or a brand new job, just make sure you do your research. Make sure you kind of do your homework before you go into that interview. Know what that agency provides, what services they provide. Be professional. Um, I always encourage people to double check your resume, have somebody else look over your resume for mistakes. Even when it comes down to your email address, making sure it's a professional email address, making sure you're dressed appropriately for that interview. Um, and even the small things, especially if it's a smaller agency, sending a quick thank you note and say, I appreciate this opportunity to interview with you. Um, so all those things come to mind when I think about where I started at as a student interning and now being on the opposite side of things as an intern supervisor in some situations or just looking for a candidate for a job. If you leave that lasting impression on people, then they, they can reach out. Now, similarly, if, they, if you leave a different type of impression... <laughs> Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Ooh, a different type of impression. I've had people come back to me and I ask, oh, how's it going? And they're like, well, not that great. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, why did I recommend them? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, or I've had and to flat so, out say, no, I'm sorry, I can't provide you with the reference. You know, those are always sad mm -hmm. conversations. But, but you know, yeah. you because I, I stake my reputation on it. And so Oh, absolutely. I can think of doing the same thing, you know, recommending somebody for a position and later that person called me back like, why did you send this person to me? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I thought it was going to work out. I apologize. So I'm very mindful about my recommendations. I take them very seriously now when people say I have this position open. And I can think about even since I've been here in Mississippi, someone reached out to me and said, I have this opening and, you know, you were the first person I thought of. And I said, well, unfortunately, I'm no longer in Tuscaloosa. And they said, well, do you know anybody else? Right. And I'm thinking, you know, even if that person initially thought about me, this is still another opportunity. So, again, those lasting impressions yes. and those connections. Those connections. And then that professional, yes. I like what you said, too, about when you show up to the interview, do your research. You should mm -hmm. be asking questions. I love, oh, I love the be teachable quote, like, yes, um, throughout your entire life, you know, never think you've, you've got it all totally figured out. But yeah, but, right. um, but when you ask questions at the interview, be sure they're not the questions that you could have easily found out on your own. <laughs> you know, yes. But yes, show yes. that you demonstrate that you have done your research and have some really mm -hmm. good, thoughtful questions when you come into the organization. I mean, like even in your current role, you had researched that organization and, you know, you're like, hey, they're doing some really interesting stuff. Now you were able to learn more about what they were doing after yeah. you talked to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but that, you know, you were curious enough to get that information. But, um, but yes, doing some initial research really helps as well. I and it agree. can be quick. Google is your friend. Yes. Most agencies and jobs and companies that have a website, 
So at least get the basic information, um, find out what they have to offer. If it's something that you have no experience in, those are the questions that you have for your interview to say, well, okay, I saw that you offer this. There wasn't a lot of information. Can you tell me more about it? Yes. And so, you know, with every interview, whatever the outcome is, think about that as practice. How can I improve each interview that I go on? So again, that's doing your research, doing your homework, finding out what the agency or company does, and then take it a step further. Go through some practice interview questions so you have that confidence going in. You're already nervous. So go ahead and practice some of the typical interview questions that are going to come up. Absolutely. One thing I like to say, too, is, um, you know, kind of thinking about some stories that demonstrate some of your skills because people can hold on to like examples that you Uh give them. And but it takes practice to really execute those well in a short time. Absolutely. Yeah. Something else that you've said about the relationships and building the relationships and how the interview is an opportunity to practice, but it's also an opportunity to build more relationships. Absolutely. I mean, I can think about, even though I felt horrible turning down, I accepted the position in Georgia, I turned it down. And like the rapport was so good between that supervisor and myself that I felt comfortable reaching back out to her and saying, yeah, in hindsight, that probably wasn't the greatest decision ever and talking through things with her as I was trying to figure out how to restructure that current organization and the positions. She sent me job descriptions. She sent me information. She was like, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Here's some things that can help you. So despite me coming back and be like, actually, I'm not coming to Georgia after all. <laughs> she was willing to help me. And that stands out to me. Yes. And she, you know, again, those relationships, even if it didn't work out, you know, that somebody I feel comfortable reaching out as a professional and saying, this is what I have going on. What resources do you have? Um, so that I'm is a great example. That. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. You, you're still expanding your relationships in the field and, uh, and even outside of the field in some cases. Um, because you still handled it with professionalism and respect. People always say, don't quit or don't give up or whatever. I mean, and yes, don't quit if it's something that you are confident you need to be doing. <laughs> uh, right. If, and don't this, quit without a backup plan. Don't quit without a backup plan. And don't quit if you're just unsure and maybe you need to give yourself some more time. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah, if you know that you need to be going in a different direction, it can be best for everybody involved you know, that you say, oh, actually, you know what, I, I don't think this is going to be the best fit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's good to just be honest about that. And you can be both honest and professional, clearly, Absolutely. because you still maintain this positive relationship. Mm-hmm. So, well, this has just been so um, great. It's been great catching up with you. I feel like yes. I appreciate all of the, um, the advice you have for students. And I just love hearing about your story. Lots of details that I, did, I wasn't even aware of. <laughs> I love it. Um, But thank you so much for your time. Yes. And thank you for this opportunity. I'm always happy to share my experience with anybody because I'm like, there are people that helped me along the way. And I hope I'm able to help somebody else in return. Oh, I know you are. I know you have helped people and I know you will continue to do so. And we'll probably plan to follow up with you down the line to see how the new job's going later on down the line. We can do a follow-up interview too. Well, thank, Sounds good. Thank you so much, Equiller. No problem. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS Careers Podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at my website, www.hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they are not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field of HDFS. I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they're working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and you want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.